0: What's been happening in the Canberra property market this year? Is it immune to price falls because public servants are in stable employment or are there dark clouds on the horizon, clouds in part obscured by some new high-rise
1: buildings? You know, there's a couple of different good value propositions in terms of um, without wanting to give away the secret sauce, of course. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. But uh, if we're looking at units and some of those older buildings, those older complexes, you know, they really don't build them like they used to. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, being good walking distance to some of the lifestyle areas uh, around Kingston and that inner south area location there, some of those are so well built and, you know, without the flashy pools and the rooftop gyms and the cinemas and all the rest, the uh, holding costs can be quite low and really in demand from those people that do come to town and don't necessarily want to buy. So they can offer a really good um, um, A-grade property from that side of things.
0: (laughs) download our free full or forecast report which experts can you trust to get it right the elephantintheroom.com.au This week, we're finding out what's happening on the ground in our capital city property market from buyer's agent, Claire Corby. Claire is an out and proud, born and bred Canberran. So we felt she was best placed to give us a Canberra update since this has been requested by quite a few listeners. But also, some stats have been suggesting that Canberra property has been bucking the trend during COVID-19. So we're very keen to explore why this might be the case. Thank you for joining us today, Claire. Thank you for having me.
2: Hi, Claire. Thanks again. Um, as Veronica alluded to in the intro there, how is Canberra property market faring, I guess, with this COVID worldwide challenge?
1: Yeah, it's been a few months of very interesting buyer behaviour and uh, and seller sentiment as well. So on both sides of the equation there and then very different between houses and units as I'm sure we're seeing in other markets as well. But, yeah, very much a, a two-speed economy here in Canberra.
2: So when you say... Um, you know, the differences between houses and apartments, is there parts of the housing market that are also different where you're finding, you know, big differences in terms of the demand and, you know, listings, et cetera?
1: I think when COVID sort of first came in and we're in this March phase, April phase, yes, it was a little bit, you know, out in the outer suburbs, wasn't seeing the strong demand that we were seeing from those inner suburbs. But these past few weeks have shown, just this weekend just gone, we've had another couple of suburb records blown, Blown apart, and they were even ones that were set just a couple of weeks ago. So even in the outer suburbs now, we're seeing really strong demand.
0: So what sort mm-hmm. of records are you talking about? You're talking about clearance rates, you're talking about price records,
1: suburb price records. Yes, suburb price records. So you know where it would have been, you know, seven fifty for one suburb before. Now that's sort of in the mid eights now.
0: And so what do you think is driving that? Do you have a
1: scarcity of listings? Mm, yes. Absolutely strong scarcity of listings. So it's been been a funny I think during COVID, when it first came in and we're in that sort of early March phase, if we cast our minds back to back to when it all first became the pandemic. And a lot of those auctions were brought forward. That's weekend where we were, okay, this is it, no more auctions after this. We all have to sort of figure out online auctions. Yeah. Everyone brought their auctions forward. and We had this bit of a, a rush on on auctions then. And since then, I think a lot of sellers have just been sitting on their hands if they don't really need to move or, or have to move. A lot of people have just been bunkering down. But we've been seeing a lot of strong demand from people who aren't in a home that's quite big enough to cope with multiple people on, on Zoom and Google Hangouts and meetings and all the rest and the kids homeschooling at the same time. So this sort of upsize a home, very strong demand for that.
0: Yeah. In other states, you know, we've we've certainly in New South Wales and I've heard this about Victoria and also Brisbane, um, properties typically, yes, some auctions were brought forward at the uh, very outset of restrictions, but a lot were withdrawn. A, A high number of properties were taken off the market and only some of those are sort of trickled back on. Did that same thing happen or do you feel that everything sold beforehand at the beginning of it?
1: No, certainly not everything, but I think there was a vast majority more so. Some were withdrawn, but since then, you know, agents trying to just scrape through their book of listings and who they can drum up at the moment just to try and get some sales through, I think, you know, if anyone had an inkling of selling, they've had a bit of pressure from agents telling them, now's a great time to do so. So, yeah, it's interesting to see. Maybe there might be a few that are still sitting on their hands, but I think everyone who's been comfortable to transact has by and large sort of been through, that process by now and now we're just waiting for what's going to happen in spring
0: and what are the people selling the big houses where are they going
1: well that's the other question isn't it too so you know whether they're just old people uh i should say old people i'll be one of them soon i'm sure but uh, yeah it's uh it's people who want to probably move to that missing middle of townhouses Mm -hmm. that they're just not there i mean canberra has a bit of a problem with i think problem with, um, with development options it's quite limited in terms of zoning and also prohibitive in terms of costs
2: mm. so
1: yeah this whole missing middle in Canberra is quite pronounced
2: because they're building lots of apartments right around the city I was there I think it was late last year um, and I was kind of flabbergasted just how many new mm. developments of you know one two bedroom apartments were going up all around the city and I think they're building a lot of house and land packages on the fringes is that right?
1: Mm-hmm. So, yeah, if we sort of look at how Canberra sort of laid out that whole Canberra by design thing. It's originally the concept was for urban sprawl, so sort of, you know, 50s to the 60s brick and tile homes were the core of Canberra. Mm. Uh, and then now we're seeing a bit of a surge now with townships like Gungarland and Malongaloe and those greenfield estates really exploding out to the edges. So yeah. that sort of mid-2000s to ten sort of era of growth there And then there's talk of that, you know, still expansions to happen in those pockets as well. So there is that. But also I think the government's looking at, well, can we really afford to keep doing this with Canberra sprawling in every direction, trying to be a bit greener here? Should we go towards urban infill? But there's problems, like you say, with that. They're just sort of plonking up these 25-plus storeys tall, massive towers, cranes everywhere in the skyline. Mm. And it's not just in the inner city too. They're going up in the... um, satellite townships to the far north and the far south too. But um, there's such a contrast between the towers that are going up today than the ones that did last century. Who's moving into them? Mm, Not many people are having trouble selling them. They are really having trouble selling them. So I think some of the developers are now looking for overseas interest, but obviously that's now died fairly well Um, and trying to regenerate interest in those by, you know, adding incentives. There was one um, block that uh, went up recently here and they offered everyone, uh, they just said, look, we're just building it to rent. That's what we're doing now is a build to rent thing rather than trying to sell it to people. If you want to move in, we'll offer you a long lease and two months rent-free period. And they couldn't rent it fast enough. It was such strong demand.
2: Yeah, but, I mean, I guess the developer's got to be able to hold that right. So Mm -hmm. generally the developer model is to build and sell. Uh, Pre-sale, yeah. And then go on to the next one and you know keep on banking the cash and reinvesting the profits but you know a build to rent is a completely different proposition to a developer and um, you know if they didn't design the buildings in that way um, and the mm. whole structure and tax and things like that it's a pretty dire situation I imagine for most developers they wouldn't want to go yeah, down there.
1: yeah there's been a couple that have actually shelved their big developments as well so it's still sitting as a car park yeah and, uh, yeah the plans were to get that out of the ground soon so that's just been shelved so i think it's good that sort of seeing a little bit of a stop in that pipeline of supply because it's just there it was an over to start coming into this year
2: yeah and you said there's real scarcity that sort of upsize uh, you know you know bigger family sort of homes mm. around the city Is that where you find there's an obviously the strongest demand in canberra and not enough properties
1: Yes, yeah, absolutely. So, you know, there's, like I said, that sort of era that Canberra was built in, that sort of post-war mid-century stuff. It wasn't exactly a a, a big home, big footprint by then. It was built for public servants to live in and and quite modest, generally speaking. Of course, there's pockets that are a bit more expansive than others. But, um, Mm. yeah, yeah, so people, I think, wanting that, that bigger house and not so much a huge yard. Of course, there are people that always want a bit of land underneath them too, which is good. Mm. But yeah, there's definitely a strong demand for people to have multiple living spaces now. So those are the types of homes that are going to auction and are driving our strong auction clearance rates too.
0: And that's a good um, point there that, not everything goes to auction. Are yeah. you saying that 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 I mean, I guess what proportion of property would you say goes to auction? You just say the sort of the smaller stuff. It would always be put it at a price anyway. Is that what you're saying?
1: Definitely units. Yes, yeah. Uh, it depends on how well it's presented. I think if you even have a smaller home that's really well presented mm-hmm. in a good suburb, that gets absolutely strong demand of those are taken to take into auction. But sometimes what might happen there we're seeing at the moment is they're being sold prior to auction because there is such strong interest.
0: What sort of volumes of, you know, how many properties would go to auction on a typical Canberran weekend? Oh,
1: yeah. Look, this year has been so atypical, hasn't it? So we've been seeing very, very low numbers recently in the 40s, 40s and 50s. It's very, very low, whereas on a a busy weekend we might see that up in the hundreds. Um, So who's to know what's around the corner in spring? I'm hearing whispers that supply, you know, is on the way.
2: And so if you're buying, let's say you're not buying at auction, are you going private treaty, like what's the usual sort of process that you do in ACT? Like in different states, we do different things, mm. you know, some, you know, 66 Ws in, for example, New South Wales and yep. Queensland, you do it a bit different as well. I mean, what what's the usual process down there?
1: Yeah, yep. So here we have a standard 30-day settlement period. Yeah. So it's a little bit shorter than the 42 across the border in New South Wales. Mm. But, of course, there are there's usually a bit of leniency from vendors to say, hey, well, maybe 45 or 60. But yep. um, yeah, yeah, those sort of our, our common goalposts that we walked work towards. Uh, and yeah, for private treaty, we a sixty six W sort of equates to a section seventeen here. So, you know, same, same, okay. different name. Yeah. So that's all very similar process, but of course we've got quirks such as all the, you know, the leasehold crown lease titles and things like that too. Not so much the freehold title.
0: Yeah, I wanted to ask about that. So is every property in the ACT purchased with a lease, um leasehold yeah. rather than freehold?
1: Mm, there is a tiny pocket out near the airport that uh, is freehold and um, the group out there that own that land have, have got, developed that a little bit. You might have seen when you've been landing into Canberra, but by and large, yes, huge expanses of, of Crown lease. So we all have a 99-year lease to the Crown for our block of land and um, those are going through the renewal process for a few that are, are coming up for their lease renewal. so so how, yeah.
0: how does that work? Because it's like so it starts off with 99 and then you might own a property for 20 years and so the next person buys a 79-year lease, right? Mm-hmm.
1: They inherit the remainder of the lease, Yeah. Yep. So that takes on. And uh, at the end of 99, it's been, what I understand would be happening is it just rolls over for another dollar for another 99 years.
0: Mm. Sounds ridiculous, really. It sounds like a lot of a lot of um, red tape.
1: Yes. <laughs> so, oh, we love red tape down here.
0: <laughs> yeah. I guess it's it's creating and and sustaining a few jobs. But how does it in in practicality, in practical terms, how does it work? I mean, particularly with an apartment, for instance. So that means the entire apartment building is also built on leasehold land rather than freehold land. Yes. Um. Yeah, yeah. Right. So. so you're you're buying your share, or you know, your apartment within a, a strata building. Um and also paying your, your bit towards whatever mm-hmm. whatever is remaining on that um that lease. So does it does it I mean, because I know a lot of um, you know, Canberra agents, you you deal on both sides of the border. I don't know. Do you deal on both sides of the border?
1: Yeah, on New South Wales as well as ACT. You kinda of have to be. It's an extension really. Queen Bain is just mm. a really little it. Yeah, but different, but
0: different legislation in property, yes. right? Yes. So, so is there a practical sense of how it works that it is quite obviously different or is it literally just no, the leasehold, it really, yeah. it's just a
1: thing? It stops a lot of people, you know, they don't quite understand it or they're fearful and say, well, what happens if, what happens if? Well, I mean, we have a mass example of, you know, the movie The Castle, those compulsory mm. acquisitions back. Well, I don't know that they really want to buy all these properties back in Canberra. You never know. It could be around the corner. But I don't think so. So, yeah, yeah. yeah, in effect, it's by and large, very, very similar to buying in, in across the border. Um, you get a block of land. It's fairly well yours to do what you want. We do have some quirks. You know, you can't put up a fence in the front of your property, much as you might see walking around New South Wales. There's no fence yeah, in Canberra. Okay. Oh, really? Yeah. (laughs) I never noticed. (laughs) Hedges hedges are okay. You can have sort of open style with some pillars and things, but you can't have a solid front fence.
0: Wow. So it's a a caveat basically.
1: Yeah, kind of, yeah. And then also we don't have development on hilltops here. So you Mm. might walk around. Yeah, so, you know, obviously in other coastal towns and and things like that you might have someone elevated to catch the breeze here. All of those are just public reserves. um, Mm. Yeah, walking trails around them.
2: I was looking at that on the satellite. Actually, there's lots, obviously, natural reserves and mm-hmm. etc. Is this land that's unlikely to never be built on? Like, are they? Is there all this allocated land that's been sort of set aside to avoid overdevelopment, or are they slowly just getting changed?
1: To- no, no, yeah. I wouldn't say they're getting changed at all. No, I think it's part of Canberra's yeah, okay. well, never say never, of course, but I
2: yeah.
1: can't see a time where we're going to see development on um, on hilltops in Canberra.
2: And what about like the natural reserves, like the sort of kind of parklands mm. they are kind of... Weaved through. Yeah, you can see them on the map but it's just, I just wonder whether, you know, they're going to uh, one by one over time just get kind of sold off.
1: Yeah, there is um, a territory plan. So they've um, flagged where they're going to do development and where they're not. So there are mm. pockets throughout that are actually reserve as well and they, they're not going to be developed.
0: Yeah. Uh, and they've
1: actually yeah, been earmarked and said this is not for development and then there's other parts that are. So, yeah, but overall... Canberra sort of, you know, talks about itself as being the bush capital. I don't know if that's going to change with this, as I said, this era of growth with this surge and Greenfield going out and out and when is it time to actually look about going inwards and having that urban infill. So who's to know whether, you know, Kevin MacLeod was here last year, I think, saying, you know, Canberra's ripe for development. So, <laughs> yeah, by and large, there's not much that goes over three stories tall unless it's, you know, a 25-story monstrosity. It's
0: bizarre to have no gaps. Nothing yeah. to fill the gap. No. So, so with when we talk about infill, say in in Sydney, you know we're talking about um, repurposing or rezoning industrial previous industrial sites. Yeah. Um, what would be rezoned in Canberra if you were going to infill with with townhouses or sort of more modest uh, apartment de- developments?
1: Yeah, yeah, good point. So yeah, of course, our industrial is very much planned. Canberra being very Mm. much a planned city, of Mm. course, and um, all those lovely roundabouts we have. But, um, yeah, so it's more so I'd be looking towards changing the density within a suburb. So at the moment it's very much based around, you know, just these few streets can have higher density zoning and even in that it's it's more towards unit titling than it is subdivision in Canberra. So I guess being more permissive and saying to people, yes, you can just chop the block in half, two separate titles off you go, whereas at the moment there's still got to be this little bit of of common property that sits between the two. That's very mm-hmm. so you,
0: messy. You're suggesting that that there's needs to be um uh, an age where a lot of that mid century original type of Canberran home really gets knocked down, the block subdivided, um,
1: potentially duplexes put on them. Is that the sort of thing you're, you're saying? Oh, I don't think I'd really like to see that. I love Canberra's no. history in that mid-century style. I think we, we've got a lot of that and, and um, mm. yeah, it would be good to see. A lot of people do take that on and love it and enhance it even. But um, if someone's going to state-
0: chop the block in half, what are you suggesting that they battle axe, lots of battle axe blocks? I mean, where is the land going to come from if, if in, these, in this middle ring there's going to be higher density?
1: Mm, Yeah, good point. So it depends really on block by block basis. A lot of them were built. So there is a big parcel of land at the back. But what's been stopping a lot of development has also been tree issues. So there's been a lot of tree protection, which is a good thing in itself, of course. But if we can maybe then look at, okay, well, instead of that one tree, can we replant a couple of more mature trees and actually make the block even greener, but still maybe going upwards as well? I'm not sure what the solution is, but, uh, yeah, I'm sure someone creative will come up with a great solution.
0: Is there a lot of acreage on the, on the um, outskirts of Canberra? Oh, and, there's and, bits and, of it. Hmm. And is that, um and Bateman and places like that I'm thinking of, um, and is that the sort of area that is getting now subdivided and these house and land packages being built is that the type of
1: mm, we saw a little bit of that where we had a cross-border development over in west Bilconnon up in Canberra's yeah. northwest so Strathnan and McNamara are the two there so there was a bit of an issue there at first I think we're trying to figure out how say if you had a, a suburb that straddled the two Were the, uh, Mm. so the regional New South Wales Council, YAS Council, are they going to drive an hour into Canberra to pick up the garbage for these several streets and then drive all the way back out to YAS? Or is Canberra going to service it? So, you know, bus routes, how are buses going to service that route? You know, it's just there's a lot of issues to work through. And so, you know, New South Wales also had a look around the border and just said, look, 5 k's around that perimeter of Canberra, let's look at making that a no-development zone. And a lot of the landholders, they said, well, hang on a second. Not so sure about that. You know, I'm seeing the value in my property. So disappear." So there was a bit of, of argy-bargy and a bit of trying to figure out where we're going to go with this at the moment.
2: Yeah. So I guess in um, Sydney and Melbourne, we've seen this COVID allow people to look at alternative type of properties because commute isn't as you know important as it was. Is there parts where people are, say, living around the city in Canberra saying, well, I prefer to live, you know, in lifestyle hubs outside the city, for example, and commute, you know, 30, 40, 50 minutes to Canberra if they do need to come in. You know, do you find that there's a spread of people going out um, or do people really still want to live around the the city?
1: I think there was always a bit of a a trend before COVID. People that were attracted to Canberra for it's very much it's laid back casual lifestyle. And even though you can't be 20 minutes to anywhere anymore, it has gone yep. a little bit busier. It's certainly not by any stretch of the imagination as, as troublesome as the bigger cities. So I think people who do like to be out of the way and, you know, have their own bit of turf and um, away from it all, they were already sort of in those pockets around around Canberra on the outskirts and those acreages. Uh, I'm not too sure whether we'll see an increase demand. I know some of the coastal towns are saying, you know, they're absolutely seeing a trend from especially yeah. the baby boomers just rushing off and... and Taking seeking refuge and saying, "Let's we're going to have to be there. Where can we be as well?" Yeah. But um, in Canberra, look, I think a lot of people that like to be near a bit of restaurants and a bit of lifestyle and a bit of you know the arts and museums and things like that, and entertainment. That's where they want to be. And, and to be honest, it's not. It's not like they're right in the thick of it. They're not surrounded by monstrosities of towers in, in most of the. In most of it, but um, yeah, that's right. Yeah, it's very laid back. And they're
2: not moving to places like you know Bateman's Bay. It's probably a bit too far and, and things mm. like that.
1: Yes, yeah, and doesn't quite have the infrastructure and the medical facilities as well. So a lot of people find that they then come back to Canberra uh, for, for need of, of those sorts of services as well.
2: And, so, and what about people kind of, do you find that, um, you know, like for example in Adelaide there's a bit of a brain drain, right, like the university students, you know, study there, get a great education and they go, look for a job, can't get something that's going to, you know, get them started so they move to Melbourne or Sydney, et cetera, or overseas. Uh, and then they come back to Adelaide, you know, in their 30s, 40s, um, because they want to start a family or they yeah. you know, want to be around their parents, etc. Do you find that in Canberra as well, where people kind of grow up and they move away and then they, they come back? And is that kind of increasing?
1: I think for my generation, yes, everyone seemed to go off and do that that gap year and then travel a little bit, but everyone's now coming back to settle down and have families, absolutely. Mm-hmm. but I'm not sure if that will change and also it depends, I think on whether their parents are here. Because a lot of yeah. people you know come here for work. it's quite a cyclical sort of town in that way it turns people out every every few years once their contracts done. some people just never quite settle in and and some people do come to town say oh look I never quite found my tribe I never felt like it was home and uh and that's sad so I think that's a big part of you know helping people to settle in and assimilate in and and find their their people here and um hopefully it does feel like home for them because for me yeah gosh I could never leave My, my family would be would be at me saying no there's just too much history here for us If you like what you're hearing here,
0: please share this episode with others you feel would benefit. And while you're at it, why not leave us an iTunes review? Five stars, please. Every review helps make it easier for other people to find us and hear what our amazing guests have to say. We love hearing your questions and we're planning more listener Q&A episodes. Please send your questions in. You can send them via the website, which is theelephantintheroom.com.au or directly via email to questions at theelephantintheroom.com.au. Do you have any data... On, you know, the amount of people that would move there for work, you know, and obviously, you know, obviously it's a public servant uh, town, uh, people who are in the public service that really want to move up to federal level. Well, that, that's seen as the height of their career and opportunity, you know, on a national basis rather than state based uh, politics. Mm. So, you know, I guess what do, is there any data on the proportion of people that actually would actually buy when they move there versus those that would rent?
1: Mm, I don't have any hard data on that but I mean anecdotally there's always this saying within public service too all roads lead to Canberra so a lot of people do get in touch and say look I need to buy something because I know in the coming years we will be there and we just Mm -hmm. want to you know make sure that we've got the right property because we don't want to do the whole move twice we want to get the schooling right this is important for us so we'll just buy something now rent it out and then we can move straight in.
0: So if that's your career path, that's seen as being the ultimate, that's like going to head office.
1: <laughs> mm, yes, head office, yep, <laughs> up on the hill or wherever it might be, over at Russell, yes.
2: But then when they, they come and do their contract for they get their position for three or four years, etc. they kind of come and do that and then they leave. Do you find there's a lot of people kind of come in and out of the city? So you, you find there's a lot more turnover because of that in terms of properties whereas a lot of capital cities people kind of and then they kind of hold and then upgrade within the suburb and they stay there for a long time?
1: I think it depends which department they're in. Of course, you know, the military um, as well. That's definitely, yeah. you know, getting getting sent around and posted around. Uh, Australia more so. But, um, mm. yeah, a lot of the other agencies that, yeah, once they do get to Canberra, they'll, they'll settle down and stay. Um, career public servants move up through the ranks. So it just depends which agency they're with too, if we're talking public service.
0: And what other industries are growing or available for
1: people to work in uh, outside the public service? Yeah, so education, tourism, um, mm. and also the small business, sort of startup sector as well. So there's a, a couple of, of bigger, bigger agencies. If you've heard of like um, Eway, that payment processing mm-hmm. one, or um, Seeing Machines. Uh, there's yeah a couple of really big startups that that sort of made Canberra their own home. So Canberra as well. A C T government have tried to really foster that um, that environment and, and put in place some some initiatives to gosh, for want of a better word, trying to say it without having some government spin come out of my mouth. But um, mm. yeah, trying to foster I guess that culture of of being encouraging and, and helping startups. Innovation. Yeah, yeah, exactly right.
0: But I guess in the startup sector they that's probably the most um, flexible, agile sector in terms of where their people come from. Um you know, a lot of them are online, for instance, and dealing with digital digital technologies. I mean, do people need to live in Canberra in order to work for them?
1: Oh, sometimes yes, sometimes no. Uh, a lot of people, you know, were, were actually brought in for some of these startups and helping them to find their own place to live while they're here. I think it's just a matter of what do people want? Do they want to, to be remote or do they want to, to be here and then just you know travel away for some annual leave when it gets cold and we all run away and defrost, which we <laughs> which we haven't quite done this year? But mm. uh, yeah, look, no, I don't no. know if that trend might change as we now, you know, become used to working remotely. But uh, for now, it's sort of been yes, do come here for work.
2: And then, on a not from an investment point of view. Um, you know, where do you find that? You know, there's actual scarcity. It's good value for money. You know, the yield's pretty okay. It's not like you know the prestige area, for example. Um, you now, where do you think? you know, a good price point for people to enter the Canberra market to get a really scarce property?
1: Mm, mm, Good question. Yeah, so I think, you know, there's a couple of different good value propositions in terms of um, without wanting to give away the secret sauce, of course. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. But uh, if we're looking at units and some of those older buildings, those older complexes, you know, they really don't build them like they used to. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, being good walking distance to some of the lifestyle areas uh, around Kingston and that inner south area location there some of those are so well built and you know without the flashy pools and the rooftop gyms and the cinemas and all the rest the uh, holding costs can be quite low and really in demand from those people that do come to town and don't necessarily want to buy so they can offer a really good um, um a grade property from that side of things very good investment mm. grade so you know brown you might be talking 500 600k Yep. Uh, anything up to sort of one point five for townhouses in around that area too. Mm. Good quality stock. What so, about houses? Uh, houses? Yeah, yeah. So it depends, of course. You know, you're always working with the different risk profiles of investors and what they're tolerant for. I find Canberra does tend to draw a more risk averse crowd. They uh, they like the less volatile market of Canberra as opposed to say Sydney, Melbourne yep. have those yeah those heart stopping moments sometimes. But yep. um, yeah, so I mean gosh, our median's sort in that mid seven mark. So I think if you've got something sort of seven hundred, eight hundred ish, you're not scraping the bottom of the barrel trying to get something in a in a problem yeah. area. Yeah. But you're not necessarily, you know, paying top dollar for something just to be in a in a prestige school catchment area or anything like that.
2: And what what are the prestige parts of Canberra? Like what are they going for? Is it twos, is it threes?
1: Uh, if we're talking freestanding homes, yeah, yep. sort of one point five to two point five is a pretty popular price range for that more prestige home. Um, it's, it's pretty common brief for someone to have sort of between one and one point five, and there's very strong demand at the moment for anything up to one. And what suburbs are the prestige suburbs? Mm, so our blue chip area is our inner south. So we've got you know Kingston. Um, all around, if you've been to Manuka, we say Manuka, not Manuka. So <laughs> that's our little, yeah, lifestyle entertainments around there and then Barton and that whole parliamentary yeah, yeah. triangle south of the lake there. But now that's sort of spilling out, I find, if people slap, start to get priced out of there, they're looking at the Garin, the Hughes, the Curtain. you are spilling out to that sort of top of Woden. Um, yeah, so it really depends what sort of look and feel they're after and I think school, of course, you know, drives a lot of decision-making in that area too. So we've got Canberra Grammar girls and well I should say girls and co-ed it's not girls and boys anymore it's girls and co-ed uh, and a couple of other private schools in that area that have you know been very popular with families looking to get into those areas. So people wanting to
0: because obviously if you're getting your children into a private school you don't have to worry about a catchment area you're just talking about convenience
1: are you? Mm, yes yeah absolutely just yeah the kids can get themselves to and from especially you know when they talk about younger kids that uh, can't quite just hop on the bus yet and off they go. So yeah, whereas, you know, just that whole, I guess, that inner south area I certainly can get a bus, but buses aren't great in Canberra. Um, it's been a bit of a bugbear for people here for a while. So say if you did live in the outer suburbs and you wanted to go to some of those schools, it might mean you wouldn't be home for an hour and a half in the afternoon.
0: Is that the only form of public transport?
1: Oh, we've got our light rail now. So yes, that uh, goes from the city at the moment out to the Gungarland Town Centre. So it's uh, it trundles up it, and down Northbourne Avenue and up. Is that to. one of
0: those um, outer suburbs you mentioned earlier?
1: Mm, yes, right on. yeah, Gundell and up to the north, yeah.
0: And how far away from the city would that be for the CBD?
1: Oh gosh, off the top of my head, I'd say around about eight nine kilometres.
0: Oh. <laughs> I, I, I'm only laughing because it's um, in my head I'm thinking, wow, that must be a long way. It must be like thirty K's away <laughs> and you say I don't know K's. But um and that's just my Sydney Sydney mentality taking over there. Um so I'm laughing at myself, not at Canberra. One of the things that you mentioned earlier, we you talked about sort of apartments in Kingston, um, and the inner south obviously been quite an established area and quite high demand and, and very accessible to all the lifestyle um that you know canberra offers ca- cafes and galleries etc cetera, etc cetera. um you did touch on build quality and those older apartments that are more solidly built now i remember watching a four corner story uh was it around build quality probably when mascot towers you know we mm-hmm. we first hit the mascot towers issue and there was in particular one um example of a development in canberra i don't know exactly where i'm not sure if you watched yeah, this. Um, yep you know it okay and there was a you know there was a case study there of a young girl and it was her first home and basically saying if she's got to actually come up with more money to be able to to contribute to all the major works that required to be done to that property to that building that um she'd go bankrupt mm-hmm. now you know and it's funny because you know the the publicity was very much around sydney properties sydney apartments um and I thought it was quite interesting that obviously this is an issue that's been happening in Canberra as well. Would you say you've come across it a lot? Would you say that this is something that's more widespread than people are recognising?
1: Well, I think, you know, in terms of build quality, I mean, it's, yes, we've got to separate as well that cladding, combustible cladding issue, which we're finding on, on more and more buildings now as well. So that I think people need to be aware of as well for sure. But Canberra is such a small town that people generally know everyone and and those movements and, you know, those Phoenix companies that just set up Shonky Brothers and then day two they're called Shonky Brothers number two or whatever. So, yeah, you tend to know what they build and and where they are. So, But not everyone will and some of the the glossy marketing and the hype out there, people do get stuck and suck it into things. So there's been other cases down in Tuggeron where developers have actually gone bust and, and everyone's lost their deposit on off the plan. So, yeah, it's definitely a bit of a problem here in terms of, um, you know, we're looking at things like privatised certification as well,
0: mm. should that be
1: brought back. And, and yeah, because at the moment it's just everyone's mates just signing off on everyone else's work. It's just hasn't got that. I feel it hasn't got that. Um,
0: Robust. Yes. <laughs> it hasn't got in place.
1: Yeah, yeah. And I think buyers is definitely at the moment a, a caveat emptor that, buy beware and, and say that you need to really do your due diligence on what you're buying to make sure that, you know, you've put it through the rigors and, and you know what you're in for. We I mean, never, No one ever really knows what's around the corner, especially in things like 40 corporates. But, um, yeah, you do want to know the history of, um, of what's um, that builder, what sort of stock he's built as well um, and, that, you know, how many flashy extras and how much extra for the marketing are you paying. But also some of them are now, you know, flashing around saying, look, if, if anyone buys any stock, We'll give them twenty grand. You think, wow! Well, if that's the incentive, why aren't you discounting the stock in the first place to try mm. and ship the rubbish? I had yeah, a conversation
0: exactly. with an agent yesterday who rang me about a um, an apartment building that he's trying to sell the apartments. He said, you know, I haven't been getting any traction from buyers agents for this, and, and no kid, it's on a main road, but you know, mm-hmm. oh, it's really nicely finished and all the rest of it. That the owners want to know whether whether buyers agents would be uh, attracted. Um, with the bonus of a Tesla if they uh, purchased wow. a property for one of their clients. And I just went, why don't they just knock the cost of a Tesla off the price? You'd have a better outcome. <laughs> just yeah. like, oh, my God. You've missed the point. If the price is wrong, but also the very fact is you've built a development on a main road and people don't want to buy on a main road
1: now, you know. Yeah, yeah. Like, you know, a lot the traders tell me things like, well, you can't polish a turd. yeah.
2: Do you find that in Canberra there's a you know, the compromise properties are selling a lot slower, potentially not nowhere yes. near as much competition? Yes, um, absolutely.
1: Yeah. And what are
2: the main compromises down there that you know, obviously the busy roads, but is there others that are really, you know, stand out that you know, whether it's, you know, council restrictions or whether it's the
1: light or Yeah, sometimes it's around um around location. Uh, we have our public housing scattered throughout the suburbs too, so there tends to be pockets of desirable, less desirable. But sometimes yep. it's also around orientation. You know, these homes yeah. that sort of built in that post-war period. Well, let's just plonk it up and it's facing south. But don't worry about it, She'll we? Right? And our climate doesn't really tolerate that. So mm-hmm. if you've got a very poorly insulated home that faces south, well, good luck shifting it. Especially now that we're all sort of looking about, you know, living greener. Um, yeah. Very, very hard to shift something that doesn't have good natural light, especially in these cooler months. That's
2: so where you need the uh, new person to Canberra to buy those ones, I guess, right? <laughs> that-
1: yes. Or <All> the <laughs> buyers that come out of town that thinks they know the market.
2: Yeah.
0: Oh, yeah. Well, that happens everywhere, doesn't it? Do yeah. you, do you yeah. sort of have a bit of a quiet chuckle about some of the, the assumptions that out of area buyers make that a local would never make?
1: oh yes it's a bit of a shame isn't it too because you do hear some of the stories sales agents tell you yeah. and they're quite sort of proud of the fact that oh, this person did that and you just think oh no oh, yeah shake my head and just think oh well hopefully Feel time we-
0: heals all wounds we're going to ask you for a dumbo but have you included any of those examples in your dumbo um no i don't think i have
1: they well, extra dumbos, bonus
0: dumbos. From now then, tell Tell us some <laughs> of the stories. I mean it, I think this is important for buyers to understand that agents know when you've made a dumb decision, they don't care because at the end of the day they've got to sell the property. It's not. Mm. You know, they're limited by what what stock they've got. They're not focused. Their focus isn't on having yeah. you buy the right property for you but afterwards they, they they often have a bit of a snigger and think, Jesus, I hope they're not going to bring that back to me to sell again in, in a hurry because they just paid a motzo for something that's really difficult to shift. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I've yeah. had many agents say that to me. Uh, over the years and I used to say it too when I was a sales agent so have you can you give us a couple of examples?
1: Oh gosh absolutely I mean there's always the one you know the out-of-towner that comes drives down on a Saturday morning and thinks they've spotted an absolute bargain and you know whacks a big 50k bid on top when they really didn't need to and everyone else stands around looking at them going oh my goodness me or there was one yeah in his case it was a 100k bid and the auctioneer actually said Can I please confirm your bid? That is 100,000 bid you're putting on top. And they thought they were just the smartest thing since sliced bread. Right.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Probably came straight from this hot Sydney auction and thought that that's the the way that you need to do it. Um, I mean, are they a lot of them pricing the properties wrong as well because they're not sure what to compare them against and what is actually, you know, the lifestyle and the weather and things like that? What's actually the right, you know, what's actually a good deal, what's not?
1: Are you talking about the buyers pricing it? Um,
2: yeah, at, like that yeah. out of area buyers yeah. probably say, yeah. okay, well, I know that one up the road sold for 1.2. So
1: I don't think know. they even know that sometimes when they drive into town. So, yeah, yeah. yeah, sometimes they're just looking and buyers are bidding on social proof, which is
0: weird. Yeah. 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 No
1: option yeah. contract review, no preparation, no due yeah. diligence, right. just looking on social proof. Yeah. <laughs> what, what would be the typical profile? Are these people that actually move, are about to move to Canberra? Oh, some people, well, locals do it too. I I hear stories on the grapevine as well. So it's a bit of a worrying trend. Um, People just go spending, you know, upwards of a million dollars or so without any real thought or, or they just turn up and think, oh, this isn't, this is going cheaper than I thought it would. I should jump in here. Well, it's not exactly a meat raffle. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and is it, But is this something that you're finding at the moment is
0: specifically around those sort of upgraded type properties where there is scarcity and there is high demand or is this something that you actually see quite a lot?
1: Oh, it might be those ones that, you know, perhaps they've got a bit of a stigma but the the auction culture here is, you know, take that freestanding home, take it to auction mm. but uh, and maybe just doesn't get quite the result you might have seen. It's not quite an A-grade property. Um, yeah, so it tends tends to happen more so in case of an auction. Or if it is an A grade, yeah, someone just makes a stupid, a stupid move that they didn't necessarily need to do. <laughs> and what, what are
2: some of the things that the locals just go crazy about? I mean, like you know, it might be in Sydney, it might be a, a view, or it might be a really nice frontage. The same in Melbourne, um, you know, it might just be a beautiful tree-lined street, for example. But what are some of the things in Canberra where you know the locals are always having very high on their kind of buyer preferences?
1: Mm, yeah, good question. I think it depends. There's definitely different types of buyers that like different things. Um, mm. Those that like the unique mm. aspects of Canberra and that mid-century design, if they can see a really good sympathetic renovation done well, that makes that home really usable for the modern requirements. Yeah. Um, you know, good indoor-outdoor flow, good orientation, those basics. But then they might have opted with you know double-glazed windows and great insulation, and you know make the garden beautiful because a lot of Canberra gardens do have that. That you know beautiful aspect to them where you can really go with some
2: yeah, okay. all four
1: seasons. Mm. So yeah, they will definitely have a, a strong, strong demand from buyers. Yes.
2: Yeah, so so the one who's you... renovated renovated a beautiful sort of mid century home, but done it really well, that's where, you know, you probably see them not done that well, I guess.
1: Yeah, oh gosh, and especially through the eighties. You might have had a beautiful nineteen fifties home and they came through with their yep. apricot <laughs> tiles and, and gold taps with swans oh. on them or something. Yes.
0: <laughs> yeah that i often think that that's where some of the best value is a house that's got everything in the right spots but just really yes. horrible shocking 1980s or 1990s decor yeah yeah so clear tell us about the dumbo you've brought for
1: us mm, yes yeah, so i from time to time get inquiries from people that say oh, i'm just i don't want to deal with any property that goes to auction i just hate auctions i'm not going to go anywhere near them i don't want to touch them with a temple pole the problem being that our great A grade properties are the ones that go to auction. So they're cutting out yeah. some of the best options on the market from a mm. position of fear. So, and also I think that the auction process can have some really good benefits for buyers too. So, it's funny, it's-
2: you're right. Like, there is actually, you know, people have got these sort of beliefs and things that I definitely don't want yeah. to do, but there's always a cost to those. Um, mm. And so, yeah. yeah
1: in some mm. cases, they end up making. Pre
0: auction
1: offer to avoid the whole process. And whoa, boy, I'm seeing some sizable pre auction prices right now. Yeah, well, that's that's something that is often
0: the case that, um, yeah, they're trying to avoid it's jumping from the frying pan into the fire, really, that without really fully understanding exactly what you're doing and how to pitch that offer and how to deliver that offer, then it's so easy to overpay prior to auction. It's one of the reasons why banks. You know, you often talk to bank valuers and, and they'll often say, oh, look, it's it's better to go to auction because we, we we know that there was competition. Now, the reality is we all know that there isn't always competition at auction or somebody has come along and made a $100,000 bid over the next one and and there's no proof that there was anybody close to that. But it is something that valuers sort of lean towards to say that there's more confidence around that price being achievable again versus an offer made prior in the absence of competition. Um which, as you say, can be driven from fear. So it is an interesting uh, approach. A lot of people don't realise that they're actually it's da- more dangerous water sometimes than an auction,
1: mm, especially in a rising market where they think oh, I've just got to get this one and they're buying out of FOMO. Mm-hmm.
0: Yes, at the moment
1: we're all kind of seagulls on a on a good ship when we see a good ship land. But uh, yeah, I think there's some, definitely some big mistakes that will take you know, some people a bit of time to realise when they're bragging about it. At their well, they're not really having barbecues at the moment are they they're covid safe <laughs> distance barbecues maybe <laughs> mm. but yeah some of these bragging rights and people realize when they move in down the street people talk to them and say oh gosh that was a big price yeah wow and they might make them think twice then
2: so a lot of the market is priced on sentiment right so you know when you're saying there's a FOMO etc in the market have you seen really a change with sentiment with this you know 2020 in the COVID situation I know Obviously, Melbourne now it wouldn't be great, and Sydney's a little bit fearful now as well. I mean, has that really played out in the market, or is, do you see things that just pretty much you know continue, but maybe keep your distance?
1: Yeah, I think it's, it is a bit of continue, but keep your distance. If we're talking freestanding homes, I think people are still, and maybe it is the public service um, X factor that we you know people are feeling quite secure in their jobs. Mm. Um, so we'll see. whether and the low
2: rate is be... probably playing in a bit.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, some of the government signs are going up around town, you know, coming up to election time saying, oh, we're going to develop this road, we're going to do this, we're going to improve that. So there's a bit of bit of promises being made as well. But um, I think, yeah, some people feeling quite secure in their jobs and perhaps that overseas holiday that we're going to take, that budget might be then put towards a bigger yeah. home.
0: Mm. Yeah, it's a bit of difference. <laughs> Just... Oh, I shouldn't laugh. I was meant no. to be visiting my sister in Italy last month but uh, obviously that uh, was kiboshed and I certainly didn't get all the money back that I'd spent on tickets either, so it's a bit disappointing. Um, but, yes, you're right, the lack of travel options is
1: certainly going to add some, some money into some people's budgets for sure. Mm, and spending so much time at home in lockdown, has really been quite critical of what they want and so when they see something comes up that's a pretty good option, there's a lot of competition for it.
0: Yeah, interesting.
2: Is there many much competition from other buyers' agents? You know, a lot of the time, potentially in Sydney, the good property comes on, especially when there's low stock, there's, you know, potentially one or two buyers' agents competing against each other. Um, but, you know, from my understanding, there's not that many buyers' agents in Canberra. So do you, are you rarely coming up against yeah, other
1: buyers' rarely, agents? Very rarely. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, it doesn't really happen a whole lot.
0: Yeah. Do you it's know, a- Chris, even in Sydney, it's unusual for me to come up against a buyer's agent at auction. You know, it's certainly, I don't think I've ever come across two at an auction that I can think of. uh, Maybe Mm. maybe once I've had more than one other. Um, Sometimes I'll have one, but more often than not, I don't have anybody, any other buyer's Mm. agent. So I think the uptake of, you know, if a buyer wants an advantage, then they need to get themselves a bloody good buyer's agent. It is an advantage, but um,
1: it's still quite a low uptake. Mm. Yeah, when you look at sort of the the amount of people in the market using a buyer's agent, it's very, very low. Yeah. So, Claire, thank you so
0: much for coming along and sharing uh, a bit of insight into the Canberra market. We haven't, you know, done a Canberra-based episode thus far and we have been asked for it. So it's good for us to get some insights into what's driving that market, what buyers like um, and, you know, and what's getting competition at the moment as well. Well, thank you. I hope your listeners got something out of it.
2: Thank you very much, Claire. Cheers. We want to make you a better elephant rider. And this week's elephant rider training is?
0: Something I've been thinking about quite a lot is the ease of which uh, it is to buy certain types of property. And uh, we talked with Claire about a lot of these high-rise apartments that are being built in Canberra. And the fact that, obviously, with the slowdown on um, immigration and tourism, et cetera, et cetera, that it's appears, and also investors uh, being very reticent to get into the property market, that it appears that uh, there's a lot of incentives being paid by the developers to actually shift this stock. Now, it's a bit the same with house and land packages. You think about a first home buyer given all this money to go out there and buy something brand new. You go out there to a showroom. You basically pick your block of land off a map. You pick your house design. And sign a contract and done, easy, right? Well, buying property is should be difficult because the thing is that the easier it is to buy a property, generally speaking, the harder it is to sell that property. And I think that this is something that a lot of buyers, and particularly first home buyers, and I've been working with a lot of them lately with um, on Home Buyer Academy, it's something that they really need to understand that this is a big decision with lifelong implications, and if you Find yourself, you know, going down the easy path because it it seems easier, and the and the other way, i.e., going to auction or trying to compete for limited stock where there is scarcity, where other buyers want that property, then and you think oh, I'm going to go the easy way, then you need to sell down the track. You're going to find it quite difficult to sell because there aren't as many buyers for that sort of property. Whereas if you compete for something that is A-grade, that is very much in demand, and has you know, there's more buyers out there that want it than there are sellers wanting to sell it. Then, when you go to sell, there's a higher likelihood that you're going to find it easy to sell. So, difficult to buy, hard to sell, hard to buy, difficult. Sorry, easy to sell.
2: I really like that because you know, it's you could just think, oh, it's easy to, it's hard to buy, um, and so it's easy to sell. But there's probably different levels to it, and I think it's it's breaking that down. I mean you're going to go through the pain at some point, whether you do the hard yards now um, and which is going to get you the returns and actually get something that grows or whether you're going to do the hard yards to sell it and don't get the returns. So, you know, it doesn't just defies all logic to not want to do it up front. Um, and, you know, I had a client, yes, I think it really matters for that first property as well because yeah. um, you, a, you need that growth and B that's not going to be your forever home anyway. So, It's likely that you are going to have to sell it um, to upgrade into something else unless you've got the borrowing capacity to kind of to keep it. But, um, yeah, it's even more important, I think, for that first property that you really do a lot of, you know, the heavy lifting. Make sure you buy a quality asset because at some point, you know, you're going to have to sell it.
0: I've been doing quite a bit of research actually just lately on, you know, the resale price of apartments, you know, after their first resale after being bought brand new or off the plan. Um, but also some, you know, land and land and subdivisions can lose money between purchase and settlement as well. And that's not as heavily publicized. And so you really are starting behind the eight ball if you you've got to cough up or find an extra 20, 30, 40, 50 grand. To put towards the actual land that you've just bought, if you then need to put a house on top of that land, so you know this this is uh, these are issues that are probably going to become well have a lot more spotlight spotlight shone on them in this sort of COVID era, but uh, it's something that yeah it's as I said I've been doing a lot of research on this and it's much more alarming than I've even even realised at oh, the outset. Yeah.
2: Yeah, I think the problem is right now. There's all these government incentives to buy the new property. Um, You know, five percent deposits with the government uh, kind of backing loans. Um, You know, developers offering huge incentives. Um, I mean, there was a client that I spoke to this week. You know, trying to buy a new apartment in the Gold Coast, and um, yeah, the conversation didn't go that well really because she wasn't really being open to understanding that there's a huge risk in terms of buying this and. Um, just wanted to you know find a broker that would facilitate that transaction and I was kind of saying well I don't think it's the right thing for you and the kind of the call kind of ended you know and it happened you know a couple of weeks ago with a client who was going to buy in the Docklands and fortunately this client for example really stopped and listened to what we were talking about and I kind of said look you know have you looked at other properties in Docklands have you looked at what happened to their resale value etc and you know fortunately that digested and you know, a few weeks later, he's kind of emailed me and thanked me for the advice. And he just went and rented that apartment that he was going to buy. And um, now he's looking to buy an investment property. um, Because that's what was driving his decision. He just really wanted to live in Docklands. um, And they really wanted to live in this new building. Um, It wasn't so much whether it was a good investment. And I think the conversation really stopped him doing that. So yeah, it's just something you got to be so concerned about, um, you know, when it's your first property to make sure you're not just buying it because you convince yourself that's what you want when it's not a good investment.
0: I have done a little bit of um, work actually looking at a 1st home buyer that could get get every single um, grant that's out there and there are a number of them. Obviously, you've got stamp duty concessions and that varies state to state. You've yeah. got first home owners grant that is a federal uh, initiative but issued state by state and there's a different amount of money that, that is uh, issued depending on which state you're in and what type of buyer you are. And also there's the um, the first home de- loan deposit scheme and now you've also yep. got this home builders uh, incentive. Yep. Most of these are... Uh, pointing you to buying brand new most of them the five percent home loan uh first home loan deposit scheme that doesn't limit you only to and so that's sort of the best one to look at but to use that and then buy brand new is alarming because that's, we've got the greatest risk of actual negative equity. But if you actually did manage to combine all of the grants, so all four grants, and I looked at each state, um, what the the limits are, because there's different limits for each of those grants as well, yeah. you know, in terms of thresholds. So the best off would be if you were buying in regional Victoria, because, uh, if you got every single one of those grants in regional Victoria, your, your purchasing limit is 375000 But on settlement, this is assuming the property doesn't lose money immediately, on settlement, if you put all the grants off the mortgage or even in, a, in an offset account, you could end up with um, nearly 18% equity. So there's an argument to be put forward in some locations that if you were confident that there wasn't masses of um, new development to follow, that, um, you know, you might lose some money, maybe you lose 10% for argument's sake, you still might be better off if you can do that. But there's regional Victoria, that's uh, nearly eight, 17 point something percent. And in regional Queensland, you could end up with about 15% equity. Um, But that's it. Everywhere else, I just think the risks far outweigh the actual money that's being thrown your way by the government. Uh,
2: And even in those scenarios, that's probably assuming the current valuation stays the same. Mm. Um, Mm. And so you would have to be super selective in regional Victoria, because if, if, if anyone else got that idea and there was a... A bit of a flood of uh, yes. new properties getting built on the market, then your valuations get to come in low and there goes your equity. And well, that's um, it,
0: isn't it? And also if the developers are under or the, the developers are under pressure, they have to actually start dropping the price of, of subsequent um, lots of land. And then the valuation comes in when you go to settle. And the fact that those are being offered at a lower price does impact on your valuation. So this is sort of becomes a bit of a cascading effect. Um, and and the other thing too, I just the amount as these blocks get smaller and smaller and they've all got these color bond fences and the house design doesn't take into account the orientation or any individual no. block or how far away the fence is from the side of the house. And they've got these whopping great picture windows in some rooms that a kid you not, they must be within half a meter of big color bond fence. And so it's pretty ugly. Do you know what I mean? It's just like you look at it and go, oh, how do you pressing <laughs> And I just think that there's so little thought, and it's quite alarming. But anyway, that's that's me getting on my on my uh, my rant about that sort of bad design and, and um that cookie cutter little boxes on a hillside sort of approach to developing property.
2: And, and the frustrating thing is that um, the grants work. Uh, the you know the Liberal Party is out there sort of. Um, I don't know, what's the word, patting their chest sort of, Mm. you know, using it as advertisement to show how much, you know, demand has been interested in the home builder and, um, you know, the state government up their stamp duty exemption from 650 to 800 Mm. because they know it works. And we had a client last week where, um, you know, isn't it better for us to now buy new, not established because we can get this additional stamp duty up to 800 rather than 650 Mm. and um, you know it was a process to say yeah okay yes you've got a little bit of a stamp duty saving but you know there's an opportunity cost and that's the growth on that property versus what you could buy and you know and and that's unfortunately what happens whenever there's something free we feel like we should just go and get it um, without really thinking through what's the consequence.
0: True. And I do think there's a lot of data around that shows that valuations on these new properties on settlement is coming in, a very high proportion of them are coming in at more than 10% less than purchase price. And you've got to remember that you're only saving 4% or thereabouts if you if you don't have to pay stamp duty. And so that's a 4% saving potentially to offset a, 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 a loss in excess of 10%. So... That that simple math doesn't add up, but it's often not, uh, you know, not factored into the conversation. Yeah. The valuation
2: issue is absolutely huge at the moment um, because of valuers of, you know, they've got nothing to really base that valuation on. Mm. And so why would you be optimistic in a world that's being very pessimistic and we have no idea what's going to come in the next six to 12 months. So if I was a valuer, I'd be throwing low valuations down. Um, or the conservative side of evaluation of a range, um, rather than the more optimistic side. And so, the problem is that's too late. You've already signed a contract. You've gone in wishful thinking that yeah. the contract's going to come in, and you get to the end and you get a low valuation. And um, we're getting ridiculously low valuations on refinances of good property and established property, um, where you know it's just you can't, it's very hard to argue with valuers as well. A lot of people think, Mm -hmm. oh, well, I'll just order another valuation through another bank. The problem is that value will be conservative as well. And very few valuers will change their valuation unless you've got significant evidence. And to be honest, as a business now, we don't even really try unless it's just so far off. If it's around the mark, um, we know the value is not going to change. So we just have to just swap banks. And, and so I'll
0: give you an example of very recently, we bought a property at auction. Um, and, you know, we do very rigorous pricing research and mm. the, va- the bank valve came in 300 less than we paid. And mm. so it was o- over, well, over $3 million is property. Um, so, you know, it was less than 10% of the total value, but still significant. And obviously we were quite alarmed to think, oh my God, you know, at the, we looked at that valuation and we realized, and also it was a competitive auction and the the next closest bid to us, there were two other people within 20 grand of where we bought it. Um, yeah. So, it, you know, it wasn't just us standing on our own. Um, so when we looked at, um, at those recent sales that the value had used, they used completely inappropriate uh, comparables and it turned out, you know what it was. It all came down to a, uh, a keying error, that when um, it was the price was put into, I think RP Data or. One of those uh, might have even been realestate.com.au. I'm not sure. It was a keying error. It went in at the wrong sale price. It went in at a sale price, $300,000 less than the actual sale price. So all the value was doing was going, well, is that a fair sale price? Yep, it's a fair sale price. Then the valuation just went in at the auction result at, yeah, as he yeah. considered it to be the auction result. When it was shown that that was an error, then the valuation came in. $300,000 higher so you can see and with good reason because the reality was that the comps were there to support easy yeah. at the price we paid so but that does show that that valuation that really what they were trying to do was to tick a box to say is that that auction result achievable again yeah. fundamentally that's what they were trying to say and the answer of course was yes but they didn't go and do the extra work to go oh that was cheap <laughs> you
2: know yeah yeah
0: so um, anyway, it got sorted That's out, but not without some heartache for our clients. Well,
2: at an auction, you know, it is an easy evaluation for a valuer, I think, sometimes because, you know, they know that it's sold under competitive conditions. They know that it's a – it's who's to say what the exact price should be anyway? Mm. You know, they'll just go through at the auction sale price, you know, rather than sometimes pre-auction, um, you know, and it's potentially do they have to do a little bit extra due diligence, I reckon, sometimes just to think, did this – did someone just put in a really big offer just to buy this thing pre auction? Um, you know, if I was a value, I'd probably wanna just, you know, sound check it a little bit more. Um, because it was, you know, potentially someone just making a big offer.
0: Exactly. Please join us for our next episode. I just want to give you a couple of hints as to what we'll be talking about with Simon Kustenbacker, who's a demographer of the difference. To be honest, I think this one is going to go down as one of my favorites. I took so many notes and we talked about the psychological impact of coronavirus, basically on us and our thoughts around living in cities. We're talking about regional booms, the fact that there's not going to be a baby boom after all, and what a smaller Gen Z is going to mean to the one and two bedroom apartment market. I honestly want to do another one with him straight away. So tune in. I'm sure you'll get loads of value. If you're looking to buy your dream home or an investment property in Sydney's inner west, eastern suburbs or north shore. My team and I can help you buy without regrets. Reach out via my website, gooddeeds.com.au. If you're looking to buy your first home, thinking of upgrading
2: into a new one or purchasing an investment property anywhere in Australia, my team would love to carefully guide you on this journey. And most importantly, get the finance right reach out via our website, wealthful.com.au
0: If you're a first home buyer and you don't want to miss a step with this most important purchase, join me on Wednesday nights at 7.30pm Sydney time on the Home Buyer Academy Facebook page for live Q&A. Check out the website, homebuyeracademy.com.au. Every month,
2: my team hosts a webinar on what we are seeing at the banks, the best rates, changing policy and their service. We also share the latest insights we hear and read that are impacting the property market direction. Check out wealthful.com.au. Thanks for joining us. We'd love to see you again. And remember,
0: don't be a dumbo.